You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Suns fans, hope everyone had a fantastic Thanksgiving. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the pod- Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Brendan Clean. I write about the Suns and the NBA at Forbes, SB Nation, Dime Magazine, and anywhere that I can. Uh, I am so excited to join you guys today for Black Friday episode, a mailbag episode. If you did not already, go ahead and please check out our episodes earlier in the week. With Gerald Bourget breaking down the Suns' rotation and their ceiling in the Western Conference, as well as with Michael Pina of GQ and 538 going over his profile of Jalen Brown, what it means for the NBA, some of the discussions that they had. Jalen, of course, being in the NBA Players Association and just a rising voice in this league, I thought that was a really interesting conversation. Then we get into what Michael thought of the Suns' offseason. And again, some of what this team can be this season, because I think that is what is on everybody's mind. We know they're going to be better. We know they're going to be pretty good in Phoenix here, but how good? And and how, how high can they rise in the conference? And that is the question that I'm going to try to crack for you guys from now until December 22nd when the NBA season tips off, which is not that far away. So enjoy the holiday weekend, but get ready for lots of basketball headed your way. I'm excited. I hope you are too. To get us uh, through the holiday weekend, I wanted to give you guys the floor and, and have a little bit of a back and forth with our listeners here because that's always fun to do, right? I had a lot of questions left over from our last, I did a couple segments of a mailbag show earlier, and I have one or two that I wanted to borrow from that, although a lot of them did center on how to fill out the bench and free agency and all the rest, so those have been answered in large part, but um, I'll just do as many questions as I can get through here in today's show and look at some of what is on your guys' mind. It looked like a lot of rotation questions, a lot of um, just semantics about who's going to play because, look, here's the deal. This team is all of a sudden quite deep, especially on the perimeter, and it's going to be very interesting to see how things play out. Before we get into the rotation stuff, though, and answer those questions, I wanted to go back to Antilokos' question from the previous mailbag. He asked, every year Booker makes a leap, so what is the monster improvement this year? <laughs> it's a very high bar, right, guys? I mean, we know uh, we know Booker is an all-star already, uh, about as unstoppable of an isolation kind of one-on-one scorer as there is in the league, one of the best mid-range scorers in the entire NBA, something he has in common with Chris Paul, and that'll be you know sort of a fascinating blend there, but uh, as an individual player, offensively, he is one of the absolute best in the NBA. So what comes next for a guy like that? Uh, I think around the league, we've seen a lot that players who have so much to their offensive package can finish, can make you know shots at all three levels of the floor, can pass, all those things. What we see a lot of players adding is the pull-up three-point shot. Booker can make that shot, of course. I mean, I think back to even the 2017-18 season is when when I really started to notice him uh, messing around with that shot, so to speak. The one dribble pull-up three off of a high pick and roll. I thought that was going to be something in his game that he really started to 
to pull out more often, and he really has not since then. I mean, they you know the the Suns were able to get him Ricky Rubio. He's not been particularly efficient on that shot, so it hasn't been a huge part of his diet. I really think, guys, what we saw last year, the the shot chart for Booker is what his preference would be. Now, to get to another level as a player, I do think he's going to have to take more threes, not in terms of being good or, you know, uh, earning an all-star appearance or whatever, but it's just about how does that, how what, what more can he add to his game that's going to bend the defense to his will more easily or more consistently. And I think when you think about that, the the primary way to do that in terms of what he already is good at and how to 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 add his skills to his game in a way that that makes him even harder to guard and opens up the offense more and uh, adds to his efficiency and all those things to me point to that pull up three point shot. So just to go over the numbers a little bit, so back to that 2017-18 season, his third in the NBA, he was at 36.4 percent on pull up threes, and he took more of those. Remember, obviously, no point guard then and very little talent around him. That was. Um, 3.7 field goal attempts or three-point attempts per game were pull-ups. He took seven threes overall per game that season and, again, made 36.4% of those pull-ups. Pull-up jumpers overall were almost half of his field goal attempts that year. I mean, just a situation where he was asked to create so much and did not have spacing, did not have talent around him to give the ball to, and uh, you know, I think that's the that's the season a lot of us started to realize how special he could be because he could do that, but not an ideal situation, right? So he changes things up a little bit the next season. Still takes a lot more, a lot of pull up threes. Does not make them as much. Um, this is the season where he has health health uh, problems a little bit. Doesn't you know? I think it was the the elbow that season, and then the finger. Uh, all the rest, 64 games played, uh, a little bit of a down year, I would say, for Booker, although you know his peaks were still incredible, but that three-point pull-up, just 29.1%, quite a bit down. This past season, playing with Ricky Rubio, still pull-up threes accounted for more of his three-pointers than catch-and-shoot threes did, but still only 33.8%. Now, you know, you shouldn't compare three-point percentage the normal idea we have of like 36% or so being league average, uh, that number is creeping up, but that's sort of the, the ballpark that I try to keep it in, maybe 37%, just overall league average three-point rate. Um, but for pull-ups, it's going to be a little bit lower. I don't know the exact number, but don't compare it to that. I would say 34% for a guy taking as many as he is who has that much of the defense's attention. It's not a terrible number, but guys like Damian Lillard, um, James Harden, Steph Curry, they're they're better at it, you know. Booker's not at their level, and I think he can get to it. We know he's an incredible shooter. Uh, we know he can make tough shots. We know he has uh, the ability to get to his spot, rise up, and make shots. And we know he has the range from three. There's no reason to think it can't get better there. So uh, that is what I would be looking for. It's going to be a, a little bit of a give and take with Chris Paul, obviously, in the mix now. But I think if he can add that when he's on the floor without Paul, which I think, as we talked about with Gerald Bourget earlier, that's going to happen quite a bit because of how um, how the Suns did not add a traditional point guard to this perimeter rotation off the bench. Lynx and Galloway and Etuan Moore were their two additions there, re-signing Javon Carter. None of those guys is really a point guard per se. They can handle the ball a bit, but you probably want to split up Paul and Booker here and there. 
That being said, maybe campaign is the answer. We will obviously see that as training camp preseason and the uh, first part of the regular season plays out. But I would expect you would see Booker on the floor without Paul quite a bit, just like we saw Booker on the floor without Rubio quite a bit. When those minutes happen, especially, I want to see Booker take pull-up threes. I want to see him take pull-up threes in transition. I want to see him... um, take advantage of the fact that there's going to be so much attention paid to Chris Paul and perhaps DeAndre Ayton and and keep the defense off balance with that pull-up three. That's the number one. I would also quickly add, not isolation defense, man defense, one-on-one defense. He needs to be able to guard his man every single time that the opportunity presents itself. If he's on a switch against a bigger player, he has the size and the strength and the um, mobility to do that. If he's on the perimeter on an island against a, a point guard, you need to be able to at least make that guy give the ball up or force that player into a bad shot. We've, we just need to see that progression and that consistency from Booker because he's on a good team now. And there's no, it's very hard to have your best player not be able to guard their position, their assignment every night and win a lot of games. So the bar is not like tremendously high. He does not need to be an all-star level, an all-defensive level player. He doesn't need to suddenly do things we've never seen him do on that end of the floor. But James Harden, LeBron James, um, players like that who are you know not at peak defensive. Harden's peak was not all that great. Obviously, James's was, but you know, those guys are probably the the level where the baseline we're talking about here. If Booker can get to a, a point where he's not being taken advantage of in man situations, I think you're going to be perfectly happy. More questions right after this, but first, guys, I want to tell you about the sponsor of today's show, which is Built Bar. I love Built Bar, as I've told you a ton of times, because it's just that little boost that you need when you go for a workout, go on a hike, whatever you're doing this time of year, taking advantage of the weather. It's just that little bit to get you over the hump, get you through the day without weighing you down. Black Friday deal this week, guys, from Built Bar is fantastic. These uh, these bars are can't miss. Built Bar is dreaming of a white Christmas, and here's what they have for you. White chocolate cookies and cream and white chocolate salted caramel. You know Built Bar is covered in chocolate. These are covered in white chocolate, and they sound incredible. You get two free candy cane brownie bars with every item purchased as well, and all weekend long, 25% off all products. If somebody in your life is active, somebody in your life is constantly hungry, that's part of my problem. I'm constantly hungry. These things help you get through that. Like, I'm not going to eat dinner at 4.30. I can't. That's obviously ridiculous. I'm going to throw in a Bilt Bar and get my way to dinner. As ridiculous as that sounds, we all know people like that. Maybe you're like that. This is perfect for them. And Cyber Monday only, Dreaming of a White Christmas continues with two new, more new flavors, White Chocolate Cherry Sunday and White Chocolate Coconut Deluxe. These don't even sound like protein bars. They sound like candy and they really taste like it too. But trust me, they have the protein, very low on sugar, very low on calories. The Cyber Monday deal. You also get two free candy cane brownie bars just like on Black Friday, 25% off all products. But best of all, a free advent calendar with every purchase that comes with 12 built bites, even smaller ones, and 12 months of savings, 12 offers for every month of the year in that advent calendar. So to take advantage, one more time, you're going to go to BuiltBar.com and get 25% off for Black Friday. Plus, do not forget to use the promo code LOCKED for that extra little bit of money off and 
Take advantage on Black Friday of those two new flavors or wait till Cyber Monday if that's more your speed. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED, get extra off in addition to the 25% off and that free advent calendar. Back here talking Suns with you guys, of course. <laughs> that sounds a little bit silly. Of course, we're talking Suns. We are going through mailbag questions here. I appreciate, as always, all of the questions. Let me sift through here. Jim Rose, I wanted to answer this one for sure. I know you sent it a bit ago for the previous mailbag, and uh, it's a good question. Who will be the first five off the bench? Well, let's start with the starters. I know you had that in your question Originally, I think, you know, Gerald and I talked about this, and I think I've landed on what I expect, which is that it'll be Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, and DeAndre Ayton. I think Crowder in that four spot just gives you a little bit more trust off off the bat. Um, you can trust that Crowder is going to make your defensive scheme a little bit easier. You know, if you are going up against a team that has one of those big playmakers, a Kawhi Leonard, um, a Paul George, um, you know, a forward playmaker type of, of player. Crowder's going to be a good option on those guys. Um, he's he's just probably more trustworthy uh, than Cam Johnson. You don't want to put too much on the rookie, as incredible as he was in the bubble. Uh, I think that four spot's probably the only real question mark there, and I think I give the nod to Crowder. I imagine the Suns will too, just based on how much they paid him and the, the commitment that they gave him and the fact that they can afford to bring Cam along a little bit more slowly. As for the first five off the benches where things get tricky to me, I think you're definitely going to see Cam. I think you're definitely going to see Dario Saric. Those two are locks. That's your sixth and seventh men. Uh, not to say that they come off the bench first and second. I think that stuff's a little bit old-fashioned. We don't. It doesn't really matter who comes off the bench first, second, and third. matter of who gets the most minutes and who's uh, every night in the rotation. So those two, I think, are locks. Uh, I would actually say uh, the third guy I would put in that mix is Etwan Moore. I don't think his signing got enough attention because, um, you know, maybe he's just older, minimum deal, not not that flashy, right? But I think he's going to make a massive impact for this team because uh, he does have a little bit of juice with the ball in his hands. This is a guy who was sort of thought of as a point guard once upon a time when he came out of, um, man, I'm, I'm, I, guess, I guess I've been paying attention to the NBA draft for too long that I don't remember. Uh, but when he got to New or- when he got to Chicago, I remember in Orlando, he was a guy that operated with the ball in his hand. So he doesn't really do that anymore. It's not what he's best at. Purdue is his college, just to clarify there. Um, but anyway, he can do that. So I think he's the type of guy you like to have in that spot alongside uh, Booker or Paul in the second unit. I would imagine it'll be um, Paul kind of operating with the second unit. I would imagine we'll see something similar to what Monty did with uh, Ricky Rubio last year, which was to have Paul be one of the first polls and then have Booker play the whole first quarter and then have Paul come back in to, to start that second quarter off with Booker off the floor. So you could see a second unit with Paul Moore. Uh, and then that brings me to the other guy here, Langston Galloway. I, I do think he'll play a role here. Um, I, I think he'll play, you know, between him and Carter, it's hard to say. I think you have the flexibility. They both can knock down shots. Obviously, you prefer Carter's defense a little, but I think Galloway can be a little more trustworthy with the ball in his hands. Another guy who is better in a shooting role, but we, we, we've we seen him have experience where he does have to dribble a little bit. He rookie in New York and with the Knicks, um, you know, even with the Pelicans early on, both of these guys happen to play for the Pelicans, which is a little weird. Um, so I think you'll see those 
two additions in free agency off the bench with Chris Paul. I think that type of a lineup is it makes a lot of sense. Each one more small to be sort of that on the wing, but in a bench unit, it's not that big of a deal. How many like bona fide bench playmakers are really coming off the bench for teams? Not not a lot. Those guys are those guys start for a reason. Luka Doncic is not coming off the bench, so if Etoan Moore is defending a three, it's not going to be an incredible player. So I think you can get away with that. I would say obviously Javon Carter will be in the mix if there are lineups where. It's uh, you know all bench in the perimeter, no Paul or Booker. I would say those three will probably play together, and I would say you know they're you know you're gonna have times then. Okay, so Booker comes back in in the second quarter. You know you don't want to have everybody playing 25 minutes, so you're gonna have you're gonna have some mixing and matching. I think the Carter Booker pairing works pretty well. I think we saw that at times last year. It worked out pretty decently. Um, and then campaign maybe I would actually say right now he's probably on the outside looking in. And then I would say in the front court uh, you might see a little Jalen Smith. Um, but I would say the five that I would think are going to be the most high usage, high minute players off of the bench for the Suns next season are going to be Carter, Galloway, Moore, Cam Johnson, and Dario Saric. On to the next question here. Let me see. Coach J. Will at Royal to Real asked, I believe the Suns can be the third best team in the West. Do you believe they can too? Well, it, it depends, Coach J. Will, on uh, how much you're really using the word can there. Can they be? Uh, I suppose, as I talked about with Michael Pina, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. It's probably their absolute ceiling, barring you know injuries to the Lakers or the Clippers or something, but... Um, I don't expect it by any means. I think Denver is pretty substantially better than them. I think Jokic is better than any player that the Suns have. Um, I think Dallas is a pretty decent, you know, I, I think the Chris Depp's Porzingis injury will hurt them a bit, but I think overall Dallas, just with Luka again, I'm, I'm in the regular season especially, a team with a bona fide superstar who's better than Booker or Paul with a deep cohesive roster around them so that's Denver that's Dallas I think both of those teams are probably uh, better um, depending on what Houston looks like if if they can move on from the the, the awkwardness of this offseason obviously a James Harden team is is probably going to have a higher ceiling than Phoenix although we have seen Houston underperform in the regular season I think Russ is an injury risk and that team could just implode I mean if by the trade deadline they're they're not playing like they'd like to be, then you could see both of those guys still get moved. I think Russ could get moved uh, during this offseason still. So remains to be seen uh, what happens there. But I think the Suns are more in that mix. I've said before, I think shooting for the sixth seed and avoiding the play-in game, that should be, that's a realistic, reasonable goal for this team. And uh, one that I think is probably where, where I would set expectations um, for this season. One more uh, kind of piggybacking off of Jim's question from the last segment. This one's from at Sundarus Dunks. His name is Valley Boys Forever. Um, who do you expect to start the year in the rotation and how much of a headache is it going to be for Monty with such a deep squad and any danger of saltiness over playing time? I obviously went over the rotation part of that question, but I do think digging in a little more on whether there's a potential for, for sort of problems here. Um, I tend to be more optimistic about that stuff. I think especially now where there's such a clear hierarchy, I mean, it's pretty similar to last year, right? Like, uh, you know, Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker were the clear starter. There's no debate about that. You know, they were going to get the most minutes 
And then, you know, you had Aaron Baines, who's not really going to, you know, cause an issue. He understands he's been a backup most of his career. That's going to be his role again. So being behind DeAndre Ayton was no problem. Then you had a lot of young guys and a lot of young guys who were willing to sacrifice. Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, uh, even Kelly Oubre, you know, not a guy who complained about his role too much. Maybe him starting over Mikhail was a little bit of a... Um, a little bit of a touchy thing where Monty had to tread carefully there, but it didn't go over poorly. I mean, you have a guy in Mikhail Bridges who's the ultimate sort of team player. He's going to be comfortable in his role. Javon Carter, similar. You know, you're not going to have an issue with that guy thinking he deserves a bigger role than he than he has. He's he's going to go compete and be a three and D guard, and and he did it, and he will this year, and it'll be solid. Then around these guys this year, you have similar types of players to like an Aaron Baines where. You know, each one more links in Galloway. I don't expect those guys to have any questions about what their role is going to be on this team. So, um, you know, and then Jalen Smith, Damian Jones, those guys are, are young. They're not going to expect minutes. I really don't think that you have any any chance for problems here. You know, maybe there's the possibility that with Moore and Galloway on one-year contracts that they are sort of thinking to the thinking to free agency and if they're out of the rotation for a bit or something like that you know you always run into that possibility but I personally just don't think I don't think there's much of a question as to what this team is going to look like from a hierarchy standpoint so I just don't think any player should be convincing themselves that anything different is going to happen more questions right after the break guys thank you for listening thank you for the questions and we will be answering a few more on the other side Back here, finishing out our Black Friday mailbag from Twitter. Again, you can follow us at LockedOnPHXSuns. Follow me at BrendanClean14. Uh, as long as you guys keep feeding them on Twitter, I won't have to go to Reddit or anywhere else. So I appreciate that. Um, if you want to, uh, drop a, a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. If you drop a question in there, I will... And it's a five-star review. I will answer the question without a mailbag episode. I might even throw it out for a guest and I to talk about. I appreciate those five-star reviews. If you have not already as well, guys, check out the Hollinger and Duncan NBA show. That's John Hollinger, former vice president of basketball operations for the Memphis Grizzlies, and Nate Duncan of the Dunked On show. They do an awesome job breaking things down from a front office perspective. We'll love having them on the network once a week. They, they stream their shows on Twitch. Uh, I listen every week. It's nice. Uh, perspective from them so check that out if you have not already finishing out our questions here at its captain koala lee troy on twitter said i think the backup guards lack a bit of penetration and creativity that we're probably still relying on pain to provide that behind paul and booker yeah so diving in a little more on the backup guard situation i i agree i, I think it's a weakness of this team um just in how it's constructed but I think it's a little bit off to, to think of the fact that Payne is going to have to do that. I think the way they built this roster is that they're going to be more more by committee in the backcourt. And they have so much shooting that you can get away with uh, you, you can get away with having it be a little bit more egalitarian. And I think another factor to consider here is Dario Saric, a guy who I really do think you can run offense through. It's probably not like an every time down the floor thing in 2020 to have your, you know, relatively less athletic forward or center be like initiating the offense from the post or the elbow. But I think that's something you can do if you if you surround him with enough shooting, which in a second unit of like 
you know, Carter, Galloway, Moore, and Cam, that's a ton of shooting on the floor. So I think if that's, if it's an all bench lineup like that, without Payne or Paul or Booker, you still can get away with it in spurts. Um, But that said, yeah, you don't really want to do too much. You don't want to have too many chunks of the game where you don't have just a primary initiator that you trust. So I do think we'll see Paul and Booker be split up quite a bit. And I think we'll probably see Campaign get uh, quite a bit of run early in the season or at least in the preseason and, and whatever to to try to determine if that's something that's trustworthy. I don't think Monty wants to go into next season with as big of a question at that backup point guard spot as he had last year by any means. So yeah, it's it's probably the number one thing to watch right now uh, is is how they handle that with from a rotation perspective and a stylistic perspective to sort of limit the amount that they ask campaign to do while also uh, trying to help that second unit out as much as possible, whether it is pain or um, whether it's more of like that shooting plus Sharich type of a lineup that, that I think they could go with as well. So we'll probably know pretty quickly if pain was just a mirage in the bubble. I tend to think he'll be fine enough to play some minutes, but I think expecting him to be as good as he was in that bubble it's just, I mean, it's a, it's a tall order to ask of anybody to be a high level backup point guard, when they don't have a track record of doing that and, and Payne's guy who wasn't even in the NBA at the end of last season. So, you know, it's, it's just, it, the bar is high. Uh, so can he meet it? Yeah, of course he did it for eight games, you know, so he has evidence that he can, but, but I, you don't think, I don't think you want to run your team in a way that where if he doesn't do that, that you're really screwed. So I think they'll, they'll kind of keep their options open there in terms of who they're playing and how they're playing. Last question here. From at from the ashes seven sixty one, it's Chris Cronister. Love the questions from you, Chris. As always, appreciate that you are always uh, thinking about the Suns, sending us your questions, and, and giving us a lot to talk about. So, um, here we go. I, let's see which one. I, I'm only going to do one of yours, but as I as I've always done, Chris, I will keep the rest in mind. So, this is the one I think I'll go with. What new identity do you guys? Well, just me. <laughs> what new identity will be an accurate representation of this team as a whole? Versatility, depth, toughness, grittiness, and how could you see this newfound culture affecting our long-term trajectory? Well, I would say, Chris, that this is the culture that they, or the, the sort of identity, culture, whatever, that they've been wanting to cultivate for a while now, and the one that I think that they would say has described their team since James Jones took over, and especially since Monty Williams took over. It's just that now you're seeing the the personnel start to match that, and I think there's no better guy in theory on paper to, to match that than Chris Paul, and I think that that toughness uh, is, is exactly... Um, what the one I would pick versatility. Yeah. I don't really think this team is incredibly versatile. All things considered, you know, they, they went with a big rather than a wing in the draft. Like this, this roster could have been built a lot differently if you wanted versatility depth. Sure. But that's, you know, you ideally have that on every team on every great team. So yeah, I would say toughness and grittiness. I mean, shooting, that's not really an identity, but obviously we know that's how they're going to build the roster. Uh, But Paul with that toughness, Jay Crowder with that toughness, uh, that is, I think, what you really want to embody. Even Booker, Mikhail Bridges. But I wouldn't think of it just as toughness in terms of physical, like big guys, strong guys. I think you also want to keep in mind here uh, toughness of, of like mentality, um, hard work, and 
consistency of, of preparation and the ability to not get rattled, some of those things are even more, I think, important than, than the, uh, you know, physical toughness. So this stunt team has both, but I would, I would really think about it in terms of the, the psychological toughness and, you know, being able to overcome a run that the other team makes, being able to overcome injuries or losses like they did in the bubble, being able to uh, get better every day in practice and get better, um, you know, when they're playing games even over the course of the season, improve, uh, learn one another, care about one another, be there for one another. All that stuff is what you'll hear when you hear the Suns talk about their culture. So uh, last year was a great step in the right direction, a great first step in the right direction. The idea is that Paul will bring more of that and more accountability when it comes to that stuff. Uh, we'll see. I think Paul I think Paul is a, a little bit of a, a next factor, I guess, or a, a sort of it could go either way with Paul. I think he, you know, he has a reputation occasionally of pushing guys in that direction, maybe too far, or maybe guys that don't appreciate that or see eye to eye that way, uh, don't always appreciate it. I think in this situation on this roster, I think he's going to be right at home. Uh, but we'll see. That's what the season's for, right? That's why we play the games along those lines, guys, I will be back with you on Monday talking to Olivia Panchal. I want to hope I hope I'm saying that correctly. We will get that sorted out by the time she comes on. She writes about the Thunder over at Daily Thunder. They do an awesome job as an independent blog. I'm going to talk to her about uh, what impact did this Chris Paul season have on the young players in Oklahoma City? What 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 did he bring for Shea Gilgis Alexander, for Darius Basley, for um, Lou Dort, for guys like that? going forward and what impact can he have on this locker room and this community i think that'll be an awesome conversation to get a little bit more of an answer on what is paul going to do for that identity and culture based on chris's questions so that's a nice uh nice segue i hope you guys will listen to that show i hope you have a great rest of your holiday weekend and that you are excited for sons basketball i know i am have a good weekend guys